Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, uh, events continue to um, escalate in Ukraine with Russia's invasion, and we have reports now of Russia launching missiles into Ukraine, and we also have headlines in the Wall Street Journal, like uh, how Ukrainian strategy is running circles around Russia's lumbering military. Um, and we also have other headlines, which my guest today, uh, Stephen Bryan has, has, has offered up, which I think is a little closer to uh, reality, which is Russia aims to bomb Ukraine back to the Stone Age. So which is it? Are the Ukrainians running circles around Russia or are we looking at Ukraine reduced to rubble? Uh, back again for returning guests many times, the brilliant uh, Dr. Stephen Bryan, uh, he's a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy in the Yorktown Institute, and he has over 50 years experience in the securities industry, national security, um, senior staff director, U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and it's a long resume, but, but my favorite summary is that Stephen's been called the Yoda of the arms trade. He knows everything cold in terms of what's happening in the world and, and arms, and as we know, arms are in short supply in uh, Ukraine. So with that, uh, with that, I hope glowing introduction, Stephen. Very uh, glowing. And maybe, and maybe sobering. <laughs> well, let's, sober. let's, let's jump into this because I'm, I'm as a, as a non-national uh, security longtime veteran, I'm, I'm a little confused about what's, what's happening. Well, I think two things are happening. It's kind of in parallel. I mean, one is that the Ukrainians have taken the initiative uh, in the Donbass area and a little bit in the south in Kyrgyzstan uh, and have been beating the Russians and then pushing them back a bit. And, and that's that's to their credit. They've been very capable fighters. And the other thing that's happening is the Russians are in the midst of changing its strategy. And a big part of that new strategy is the to go after the critical infrastructure of Ukraine and to make the war extremely painful for all Ukrainians. And, and that's, uh, I think, what we're seeing right now. You know, the last two or three days have been fairly heavy bombardments of power plant, thermal power plants, of, of command centers, of communication centers, that kind of thing. So it's just going on right now. Well, the headline's pretty startling. How do you, what's the source of your, I mean, except for the obvious fact that they're doing it, do you have any insights into their, the Russian thinking? Well, I mean, it's been in the Russian press, and if you read it, and I can't always believe everything that's written there, but if you read it carefully and, and, and pay attention, I think they've made it clear that, they're, that they're, they're saying they're retaliating for the bombing of the, of the uh, Crimean Bridge. And that this is what it's about. But I think it's much more of a, a bigger strategy because they appointed a new leader. He has a record of decimating urban areas as he did in Syria in the uh, Aleppo uh, mess. Um, and, and so that's what they're going to do because, look, I mean, the, the Russian military right now is in a state of considerable confusion. Um, 
they have not performed well. I mean, I think it's clear, even in Russia on TV, you see them talking about that. Uh, the, the troops are not properly trained. The, the, the generals and, and senior colonels who are running the show uh, really are not very competent. Um, they've lost a huge amount of equipment. They have more, but they've lost a huge amount. And, and of course, they've had a, a high casualties. So much higher than Afghanistan, for example, which actually was what spelled the end of the Soviet Union. So, yeah, I mean, they have problems, serious, big problems. Well, uh, it, it seemed like the, the two headlines were not really in conflict. They're really, one of them was talking about conventional war, and they were yeah. talking about tactics going back to World War II and cited you know, European or uh, British uh, military historians and and at a tactical level, based on what they're doing on the battlefield, maybe maybe that's happening. But in a larger sense, it seems like Russia has still been fighting with one arm behind its back by not deploying things like these like these missiles so far. I mean, has Russia been holding back, and now it's being, and now the uh, the mightier weapons are are being unleashed. Uh, to some extent, they have been. I mean, because they thought they could win it on the ground in a conventional fight with a fairly small army, about 150,000 uh, troops. So they thought they could win it that way. They did for a while, but now they're getting pushed back. And I think, and, and, and they've had to go into this special call up of reserves and call up of draft eligible people up to the age of 50. <laughs> I would have to get my rifle if I were living in <laughs> well, Um so I mean, it's it's a you know they're reaching down into the barrel to try and shore up what is supposed to be a special military operation, not a big deal, but it's turned into a very big deal. Well, who appointed the? I I, I assume the Putin appointed general. What's his name? Sergei Surakovin, Survikin. 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 And his nickname is General Armageddon. That's right. That's him. That uh, yeah, awesome. was a, a, appointed directly by. Putin. Uh, there was even a ceremony in Moscow where he uh, made him commander of the overall operation. He was the commander of the southern part. Um, is, is is Putin losing control of events in Russia? I mean, is how much is he losing support among the people around him? Um, what's happening with the well? Popular... If you read, if you read the Western press, he's lost control and he's probably dead because he has all these diseases. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that. I wanted to talk with you is you tend to look past the. Uh, <laughs> the, the well, he's very much alive. Uh, he's getting older, you know, uh, and you can see some of that aging. Uh, he's getting stiffer, but so am I. Uh, you know, that happens when you get older. Uh, but I, I think he's still very much in control. I don't see any any immediate uh, imminent threat to him. Um but, you know, again, you're reading tea leaves. It's like criminology, too, because we used to do see who was standing on the wall in the Soviet times to try and figure out uh, what was, you know, who was in, ascending and who was descending. Uh, now we don't have that. We, we could use the wall. It would be nice. But without it, we have to kind of guess. But it looks to me like from everything I hear that uh, he has managed to turn the corner in terms of getting popular support for uh, the war. Do you and, think Putin's and, doing this to uh, to try to bring uh, us to the negotiation table? I mean, he says it, he is. He says it very clearly. 
but, so the, 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 but, the, but the Biden administration has not been willing to talk to him from the outset of this. I mean, it seems it, it seems to me this that uh, Victoria Newland is that our strategist. She seems yeah. bent on regime change, and from the very beginning, they've been thinking they could get rid of Putin. Um, I don't think the United States does regime change very well. We're looking at our track record, and I don't think this is going to be any different. Well, and of course, change to what? I mean, no one can say. I mean, suppose that Putin just had a heart attack tomorrow morning. You know, could happen. Uh, anyone could. Uh, or he's disabled and they have to replace him. What are you going to get? And it's very hard to, you know, some people say, well, it's Petrusha, there's another KGB guy, he'll take over, which is possible. But, you know, maybe some general will take over. I mean, it's just impossible to say what you would get. So if you want to play regime change games, you could get much worse. You could get some xenophobic, crazy, uh, right wing, you know, lunatic that, that takes over and says, well, I'll just use nuclear weapons to hell with this war. Uh, I mean, Putin is at least somewhat responsible in, in that sense. Well, I, I know neither you nor I feel like the Putin administration has handled this remotely in a, in a very, they've not, not been very clever or smart about this, but is there, what, what's their thinking today? I mean, do you, you, you think that they're, they might be reassessing the idea that they're going to try to do a regime change and might think, well, maybe we ought to wrap this thing up? Talking about the Biden administration, the Biden administration, who are really responsible for this whole war. I mean, they caused this war. They didn't have to have a war. Explain that. I I, I know where well, you're I think coming, it's terribly like, important. Like, like actually, I mean, with, the, with, this with, this is an American war <clears throat> using Ukrainians as as proxies. Uh, that's clear. And now, look, the Ukrainians wanted to kick the Russians out too, no doubt. And they've been working at it for a number of years. So it's not entirely Washington. But uh, Putin wanted to negotiate based on the Minsk agreements, Minsk II specifically, which had a clear provision that said that, that the goal of this negotiation was to create autonomous zones, Russian-speaking zones, that would still be part of Ukraine and would still be under Ukrainian law and the Ukrainian constitution and subject to the Ukrainian parliament. And that was, you know, that's what's clearly in the agreement. Putin wanted to negotiate that. And, and, and he sent two letters at the, at the time before they invaded back in 2021 in December. Uh, he sent two letters. One, one letter was sent to Biden or to his secretary of state. And the other was sent to the NATO headquarters. To Biden, he was saying, let's negotiate this. We're ready to do that. You convince the Ukrainians to join us in this kind of negotiation. And the other letter was about European security and Russia's claim that it needs to be relooked because of the nuclear problem. They saw the US might be put, uh, putting nuclear weapons in Poland. And uh, I don't think they were right about that, but that was their perception. So that had to be settled. That issue had to be worked. And the US rejected the Biden letter, said no. And the NATO rejected the reassessment of security letter, and they said no. And there was no negotiation. They slapped Putin in the face and they said, you know, we're going to keep 
promoting Ukraine and arming Ukraine. And, and he had these forces sitting there on the border, so he moved them over. That was the special operation. Well, the Ukrainians, uh, oh, Washington directly responsible for this. The Ukrainians are again asking for more military uh, supply, the whole the whole gamut. I mean, you you know our arsenal about as well as anybody. I mean, at, at what point do we say, look, the cupboard's bare here, and we can't uh, we can't have can't 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 continue to support you the way we have? Well, we're already pretty close to that. I mean, you know, now we, I think we have to start yanking equipment from active forces to supply Ukraine. The HIMARS, for example, we, we can't produce those in, in time for Ukraine. So we have to yank them from Marine units and Army units and send them to Ukraine, which puts us in some trouble in the Pacific where we need HIMARS. So it's a very, it's very dangerous. And, and that's just one example. Air defenses, you know, the Ukrainians are saying, we need air defenses. Where are we going to get them? We would have to take them out of our inventory of active systems and move them to uh, Ukraine. And even then, they're not going to do that. These are mostly Patriot missiles. They're not going to do a great job. They don't do a great job now. So don't expect much. But, but the Ukrainians want them. The Europeans, the Germans just shipped in Iris uh, T, uh, any uh, missile system, uh, but they taken it out of the, <laughs> the German army doesn't have any. Because they were expecting it, but they ripped them out and sent them to Ukraine instead. I mean, this is a little crazy. Uh, uh, you don't really want to weaken your security that way, and it's not necessary either. Well, uh, would you, what do you see from Germany and the rest of Europe? Because it, you were about, it's about to get very cold in Europe. And, you know, one of the real prices that we've paid for this is uh, the shutting down of the natural gas uh, shipments to Europe. And Germany's, what, roughly 40% or so dependent on, on Russian uh, gas, which is not coming, particularly now that we've, someone, we can speculate who blew up or uh, sabotaged the Nord Stream pipeline. Right. We're going to have a cold winter. I mean, at what point do the do the European European politicians say get get a restive populace that says you you've got to cut this thing out or you've got to get the United States to uh, help you bring about uh, some sort of negotiation? Well, I think that Schultz in Germany and Macron in France uh, are in trouble. I mean, I think they're in trouble. I mean, and the trouble will really get bad in December, you know, when it really gets cold in January and all that. So uh, they're, they're on the precipice of a political revolt in those countries. I think that's pretty clear. But they're under great pressure from Washington who, to have stepped up LNG deliveries to Europe to try and compensate in some way for the missing natural gas. They won't do it. Not enough. Uh, so I think they're, they're in a very difficult circumstance. And my, if I was, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on this, but if I were guessing uh, their tolerance for staying in the Ukraine war is going to become very limited in a month or so. At what point does Russia move from, the, well, I, nobody knows the answer, but I, could you explain again what a tactical nuke is? My, my understanding is it's different in degree, but not in kind. And it's, it's, 
a nuclear weapon is a nuclear weapon. I mean, is this something that uh, they're, they're calling tactical nuclear weapons at 15 kilotons tactical? The bomb that destroyed Hiroshima was 11 kilotons. Yeah, that's 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 my that's my understanding. So you know, come on. Uh, there used to be things like tactical artillery, which had smaller yields, uh, but we've gotten rid of all that. But and I don't think the Russians have it either anymore. But they have missiles with nuclear weapons on them. Uh, I don't believe in this distinction. Actually, I mean, nuclear war is nuclear war. If we get into a nuclear war, the chance of global nuclear war is very high indeed. Why is it that we have so many people here in Washington who seem to think, and there's some some of my favorite smart generals are saying things like, well, if they deploy a tactical nude, we'll just go in and we'll wipe them out conventionally. I mean, when people say that, I think what what and what and what planet are you have you been dwelling recently? I mean, one of the <laughs> things I think people yeah. people yeah. fail to I mean, on one hand, we've got people in the conservative world or maybe America first world, and I, I would put myself among them that says, you know, we've got to be very careful about these involvements because of what it does to America. But also, we also have got to think about the reality of the Biden administration and how they've been systematically deconstructing our military and, you know, what they're doing with vaccine mandates to get people out. And there are all sorts of uh, other things they've done to, to seemingly weaken our ability, and yet we act like we can rev up that old army from the good old days and go in and right. and, um, and, and and settle this thing. I, I don't think we've got that capability. Well, we have a lot of capability, especially air power. So, I mean, we if we enter the war, we're going to have a war with Russia. It's not going to be just Ukraine. Well, how do we end up with but, uh, uh, look? With I mean, Russia one thing that, that uh, remains conventional, though. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Let me make one thing okay. reasonably clear. There's no sign that the Russians have put any nuclear weapons anywhere near Ukraine. Those weapons are still in Russia, and, and there's just no evidence whatever to suggest that they have any intentions of doing that. Okay. Now, that's sort of the good news. Now, the not-so-good news is that most of Russia's missiles are dual capable. That is, they can have a conventional warhead or they can have a nuclear warhead. So, you know, if they move the nuclear uh, warheads into position, they haven't done it. But if they did that, they have the wherewithal to carry out a nuclear attack. I don't see, first of all, I think they realize that that, that could trigger off a, a whole set of uh, horrible events that would destroy Russia as much as everybody else. So they're not, they're not likely to do that. They have, Russia has all been throughout all the years during the Soviet period, during the time of their greatest military buildup, all that. They've been pretty responsible about nuclear weapons. Not perfect, but pretty responsible. The one mistake they made was in 1962 when they moved uh, missiles into uh, Cuba. And, and that, was, that was a mistake. And it was very dangerous. Well, uh, you're, follow, you're following this quite closely. Have you, as, as I, I haven't heard it, has the Biden, Biden administration articulated what they think their end game is? What, what, uh, when they think this is over? I mean, are they, are they driving towards un, unconditional surrender and uh, 
Russia abandoning all its gains in, in Ukraine as a condition for... Uh, seems like it. It seems like that's their condition. That's why they don't want any negotiation. I mean, if you negotiate, then you have to make a deal. Now, you could try and humiliate the Russians and drive them out and then have a negotiation, but that's not really a negotiation. That's just a surrender. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, so the, I think they're... I, I don't understand what the Biden administration thinks it's doing. But I think what it's doing is counterproductive to the interests of the United States. And honestly, it's counterproductive to the interests of Europe, and it's counterproductive to the interests of Ukrainian people. Uh, you know, how many Ukrainians have to die before they sort this thing out? I mean, what's we're, what's the end game here? The 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 real problem in in Ukraine, if I understand it correctly, is the Russian-speaking populations, which are mainly clustered along the border with with Russia. Uh, in the east and in the south, um, and and their ill treatment, and it was ill treatment, even continuing today, by Ukraine, which didn't treat them as as a respected minority. Uh, now, nothing new in that, but that's the that was the cause of all this conflict, and and of course the Russians tried to support the local forces, which they effectively ran. Uh, they did a bunch of, I think, fairly bad things uh, over the years, and so did the Ukrainians. So what do we get out of this? Can you tell me that? I don't know the answer. Well, that's... <laughs> Sorry, but that's that's why I wanted to talk with you, and you're not you're not making me feel much better because you're that's pretty much where I am. Is it with much less background? I don't see where. We Look, I think we, you know, the <laughs> Ukrainian people have proven, and certainly the military has proven themselves very courageous, uh, very strong, uh, certainly very committed. Uh, at least the ones that are doing the fighting. Um, it's, you know, but that doesn't take away from the fact that that they have an internal problem that has to be resolved. And that's what Minsk II was all about. And I happen to think Minsk II was, was a pretty good uh, deal, frankly. It, it could have worked. Still can work, but it's much difficult, more difficult now because Russia has annexed these areas. And, you know, so it's like they did earlier with Crimea. So sorting this out is going to be quite hard, and and uh, uh, but I you know the lack of trying is is very concerning. Well, you've written, and I've been looking in my notes here to see if I can find the title, but I think one of your most recent works is uh, overseeing uh, a strategic doctrine about uh, China and Taiwan and what we do there, and it seems like the elephant in the room here the somebody watching this with, with much interest would be China, because to the extent we get ourselves completely enmeshed in Ukraine, we're really not paying much attention to what could happen in Taiwan. We've got President Xi, who's about to be anointed president for life next week, it looks like, looks that way. or something like that. Uh, and, and China looms as a much, much, much bigger strategic threat to the United States than uh, Russia. So I, again, I'm, what, what, is anybody thinking this through? 
Well, we're also neglecting what we need to do in the Pacific. So there's a lot of uh, needs there in terms of strengthening our military, in terms of getting the Taiwanese up to snuff, in terms of military capabilities, in terms of training, which we're not doing very much of. We lack a common command structure for the whole region, which is putting us in a, in a we're putting ourselves in a bad position unnecessarily. So, so I think the Pacific problem is really does affect U.S. interests because our trading interests, our economic interests, our security interests are all in that direction. Ukraine was not a factor in any of this. Say one again. I'm Ukraine sorry. was not a factor. I mean, Ukraine was never of strategic importance to the United States, ever. We have no treaties or agreements with Ukraine. We have a defense treaty with Japan. We have a defense treaty with Korea. We support Taiwan. We have the Taiwan Relations Act. Nothing like that exists when it comes to Ukraine. Zero. You said something that's no common command structure, structure yeah. in the Pacific. By that, you'd mean something that would tie the interested countries, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Vietnam. I mean, all the, all, I mean, China's not well, surrounded by Taiwan. friends. There's Taiwan surrounded has by it. people who are very threatened by them. And we haven't pulled that together. No, we haven't even tried. So we don't have a NATO version. We don't have a version of NATO in, in the Pacific. No, we do not. And even if we wanted to, you know, if, if some conflict starts and they, say Taiwan puts its air force in the air, which they do almost every day now because the Chinese keep flying over their territory. And the Japanese put their airplanes in the air because they're worried about what the Chinese may do. And we put our airplanes in the air. We can't speak to each other. We don't have any system. There's no common command. There's no I, uh, identification friend or foe system that's common. There, there's the equipment that's common, but you have to have it coordinated. And we haven't done that. So the whole thing's a mess. And it's really a shame that it's a mess. It doesn't have to be a mess. But, and, and this is not big money, in fact, very little money. What really has to be done is, is a serious effort to put these capabilities uh, together, which then really gives China a problem. And I, you know, I, I like deterrence. And, and deterrence in that region is going to get harder and harder as China gets stronger and stronger. And we, we've been slow. I mean, slow is a nice word for it. We've been absent. Well, you know, just on a personal note, I, I started doing this webcast several years ago, a few years ago, because I got, I wanted to learn more about what was going on in the world. And I wanted a chance to talk to like very smart people like Stephen Bryan about, and, and, and with long experience about what's actually happening in the world. And <laughs> My personal experience of this show is it's much worse than I suspected. <laughs> it's a very we're in a very dangerous moment. Let's be honest. We have a, an administration that, in my opinion, is irresponsible. Uh, in my opinion, they are warmongers because they're trying to create a war where we don't need to have a war. The Russians are not much better. I don't want to give them any credit or whatever. I mean, they, they didn't need to do this. They made a big mistake doing it. They've made a big mess, all that. But, you know, we're supposed to be the big boys on the block, the responsible power, the great superpower. Russia is no longer a superpower. Just, you know, years ago, 1985, Gorbachev went to, uh, to Paris uh, to meet with uh, then French President Francois Mitterrand. And he told him, 
hey, look, you know, we're we're an underdeveloped country. <laughs> we are we are like an African country. We don't have anything except we have nuclear weapons. And and no, he was speaking the truth. He was that no one believed him then. Oh no, you've been building up your military. It's becoming very dangerous. But maybe he knew more than what uh, what we understood at the time. Um, and you know, I think that uh, you know, dealing with a, a nuclear power requires a level of maturity, especially on our part, that I don't see. I simply don't see it, and it greatly concerns me. You know, this is not a, a Nintendo game. This is a deadly serious, dangerous, globally dangerous uh, situation, and we're not handling it responsibly. And, you know, I think these people are, are, are juveniles. They're just not capable of clear thought. Uh, they don't have a strategy. Uh, they just think throwing weapons at the Russians is what they're going to do and bleed them and all that stuff. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Uh, it's they're making the situation more and more dangerous, and and it it everyone's going to pay the price for it, not just the Ukrainian people, but everyone. Well, Stephen, let's uh, a cheerful note, right? Let's 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 end it right there. I'm, I've I've got you on speed dial. As as events develop, I'd like to have you back on to see what whether we can figure out any kind of line of action. Uh, you know, some of the people I've talked with that are like-minded say, we, we think we know we've got some insights into this, but unfortunately we cannot get anybody in the Biden administration to listen to us, nor for that matter, a lot of the Republican establishment like like Lindsey Graham, who, right. who seemed to be as, as reckless uh, as, as reckless can be. Um, well, I think that if I was to give you a prescription of some sort, uh, it is that we have to speak up. The more people speak up about this, the more Biden will have to listen. And the Democrats will have to listen. And some Republicans will have to listen. It's not just Democrats. Um, and, you know, say, hey, guys, this is really dangerous. You're doing bad things. Fix it. Okay, we've got our marching orders. You and I have got to get the bullhorn out and start, start uh, rounding so, people yeah. up in D.C. And I think a lot of other of us are working on the same thing. Near term, we'll get this webcast out and uh, hopefully a lot of people will take it in. So let, let's, we'll wrap up for today, but to be continued, yeah. um, we hope. <laughs> we hope. And we've been talking today with uh, Stephen Bryan, Senior Fellow at the Center for Security Policy uh, and the Yorktown Institute. And uh, um, as always, a lot of tremendous insights into what's going on in the world. Um, this is the Bill Walton Show, and uh, you can find us on all the major platforms, YouTube, Rumble, iTunes, or Apple, uh, radio, uh, Spotify, and we're also on CPAC Now channel on Monday nights and, and soon to be adding a second night to the CPAC Now channel. And I uh, hope, hope you'll follow us going forward and send us ideas about upcoming shows. Uh, we, we pay a lot of attention to what you're interested in, and we can be reached at thebillwaltonshow.com. Anyway, so thanks for joining, and Stephen, thank you for, My uh, uh, for your insights. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. 
and send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.